Hello everyone, my name is Matthias and welcome back to Free Shipping, the podcast where we sit down with entrepreneurs, merchants, marketers, and more to learn about their journey. Having spent four years in e-commerce and speaking to some incredible people who have inspired me, I thought, why not share these stories with my network and hopefully these are shared even further. Today in the show, we have our second guest and one thing you'll notice this season is no guest is like the other. Today, we'll be talking about nutrition. Everyone, welcome back. Very much looking forward to the conversation today. Before we get into it, I wanted to provide a bit of a, an intro and background on our guests. So today we have Joe Wellstead, who is actually a former Scottish international swimmer turned serial entrepreneur. So having experienced the perils of uppers and downers in the forms of caffeine and sedatives, Joe dedicated the last six years of his life helping people find natural, restorative sleep through the night and high energy in the day with his wellness business, Motion Nutrition. Working with world-class experts in nutritional therapy and neuroscience, Joe and his team developed a range of market-leading natural supplements and were named a top 100 UK startup in 2020. And I can attest as a customer, it's good stuff. Joe recently sold Motion Nutrition and co-founded his new venture, No Jack Media, a content and event production agency for outdoor-led brands with clients including the North Face, Under Armour, and Strava. You might have heard of a couple of these. And lastly, Joe is also the founder and co-host of the Anti-Hustle Hustle Club, a podcast community and book in progress here to challenge hustle culture and redefine the future of work, of work and success. So impressive background, Joe. Um, thanks for being here. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Amazing. And uh, how's the week been for you? Happy to be at Friday? Yeah. You know, my work sort of schedule has changed a lot over the last six weeks or so because I was most of the time in the motion office all the way up until end of September and then really kind of freed up a lot of my time. So I'm still busy. I'm still working, but working mostly from home, spending a lot more time with my, my wife and kids. And so, you know, there's things that I want to achieve and do, but I'm a little bit more relaxed, which is nice. Good. Well, I think we'll definitely, there's a few things that you said, and I definitely want to delve into. I think flexible working will be part of the conversation and also kind of the, the eggs and emotion nutrition, which I know we'll all be keen to hear about, but kind of, you know, your background that we just gave did give a bit of it, but I wanted to kind of take a step back and go back just to the start of more your swimming side of your life. I've had cousins and friends that swam competitively, not to the same extent of being an international or international swimmer. And I think I know that it, it has a lot of commitment, but I'm not sure if everyone listening really knows what that looks like. So I was, I was wondering to, if you could start with how did you get into it and what did that journey kind of look like up to the point where maybe you weren't doing it as a profession as much anymore? Yeah, I think this um, this is kind of a thing—a new way of me to think about it. The way you asked the question, "How did I get into it?" There's kind of two phases that come to mind. When I was like a young teenager, so I was born in Scotland, but we grew up. I grew up in France. My family moved to France when I was a little baby, and I was doing two sports as a kid. I did swimming and I played rugby. South of France is a really big kind of rugby territory, so. And I was coming from Scotland, you know, so everybody would expect me to get straight stuck into rugby big time. <laughs> but when I was about 12 or 13, my swimming coach, who ended up being like a big life mentor for me, um, he was the one to ask. Well, he didn't so much as ask. He actually said, you know, you're going to have to pick at some point. You can't 
you're not going to be able to do swimming and rugby well. So you're going to have to pick. And just the fact that he was the one to ask me that led me to picking swimming because I, I kind of felt like he was looking out for me. And then fast forward another sort of six years, uh, I moved to Stirling University in, in Scotland. And after the first year there, it was the 2010 Commonwealth Games selection. And to be honest, like having grown up in France, I wasn't really familiar with Commonwealth Games all that much. But my swimming coach then, she asked me, or she said to me, you know, if you, again, not really a question, if you kind of focus and commit to this, you'll be on that team in four years. And I was like, huh, that actually sounds pretty cool. So that that kind of like made me really like dig in deep and, and then sort of commit to swimming really hard. And it is a huge commitment. And people people see from the outside, like how much time it takes. You know, I was training like 25 hours a week. And that, that time is a lot, right? Like it takes... Yeah. Literally, when you look at your diary, you're like, oh, that's a lot of time at the pool or at the gym. But maybe people wouldn't necessarily consider is that when you do that, all of the other time that you have is literally rest and restore. Like you eat and you sleep and you do not want to do anything else because you're so, you're not, not only are you tired, but also everything that you do, you kind of condition it to be towards improving your performance so certainly that was my experience so it is completely all-encompassing i can only imagine and what i guess in up until the time when you kind of you know hung well you don't actually hang up (laughs) your goggles i guess but up until then you know you just mentioned it is it's so much commitment that even when you have time off you're using that really just to rest and you're not really doing many things else what keeps what kept you going what do you think keeps swimmers going then just to focus on that and not let get to a point where you're like nah it's too much because i mean everyone may might reach that point but for you you did it to being in the commonwealth games which yeah if you're in the uk i mean everyone knows about it my girlfriend's australian she's very well aware aware Mm -hmm. of it i think for different people there's different things for some people, they have kind of like a chip on their shoulder, you know, and like somebody at a young age told them like, you'll never do anything with your life, this kind of thing. And that can be like a huge motivator. For others, it can be just wanting to beat yourself, like be as in not physically beat, but like be, become better every day, become better than you were yesterday. And for other people, it's like just really competitive. Like some guys and girls are just really, really, really like alpha competitive. Yeah. And, and I think those are probably the three biggest kind of types I think I was a, maybe a mix of all three. I did not respond well to sort of authoritative coaching or, or or teaching because I knew that I would push myself hard. So I was always into like either wanting to improve myself or just thinking, I remember liking the thought of nobody's working as hard as me. That was kind of like a big motivator for me. And it's probably not true, but that was for me like a big motivator. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, well, they always say like your biggest critic and or enemy or challenger is often yourself and that can be both a positive or a negative in this case i think it was probably a positive because you're always wanting to to reach that next goal to push yourself that much further to see what you can do and and so then kind of moving forward in the journey at what point did you decide you were going to hang up your goggles and you know i'm sure you probably still swim enjoy it but it's not in the same caliber in your life like it used to so what what did the end of the journey look like after the 2014 commonwealth games i swam for scotland 2014 games were in glasgow it's like a home games it was amazing experience incredible atmosphere really cool thing to be a part of and at that point 
of course, I considered carrying on with swimming and, and aiming for the 2016 Rio Olympics. But I was actually quite happy with moving on there. I had graduated from university in 2013, stayed around in Sterling for another year for the Commonwealth Games and kind of, you know, hit my target there and started kind of delving into the world of work through that year. And I was just happy to, to kind of finish on a high, I guess, and move on to other things. Yeah. And that kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a gap here in between when you finish swimming in motion nutrition. We spoke a little bit about this before. And in, again, in your intro, like, you know, you had experienced a lot of ups and a lot of downs in the sense of energy and like, you know, the early hours. So I was curious, before you started to work on motion nutrition and offer something that was a more a natural way of dealing with it, how are you dealing with just the lack of energy and or the lack of sleep to continue on before you got to this point in your in your life where you said there must be a better way. Yeah, I think the the tricky thing is when you're an athlete and I think it's worse in swimming because you do tend to train quite late in the evening and then come back early the next morning is you, you know, whatever you do if you do something late in the evening that's really kind of um that solicit you solicits you either physically or mentally you're kind of going to be like wired for a while afterwards like it could be really intense exercise or it could be watching a super intense movie like a horror movie or, or this kind of thing or doing like really intense work or if you imagine like giving a talk or a presentation at 8 p.m you're not really going to be asleep at 9 30 or 10 p.m you're going to be kind of buzzing for quite a while yeah. so that's the difficulty i had was actually going from like high intensity output to recovery and sleep really quickly and that was a big challenge so i, I tried lots of different things tried melatonin 5-htp these kind of things and it's like i always felt like it's not quite right because i'm waking up feeling a bit crap yep and so that's really not the goal like i want to be able to wake up and actually perform like 5 30 6 a.m i need to be on top of my games i can't be groggy or i can't be moody or none of these things so that that was kind of like an itch that i had that well, this is not an optimal solution here. I can't, I can't get to sleep quicker if it's going to mean compromising on my performance the next morning. That's that's not a solution. Yeah, and I'm so I'm sure our everyone listening can kind of see. Okay, we have this inception. There's something here that you need to fix. And this is I feel like so many entrepreneurial journeys start is they see something that could exist or could be better and wants to make it better. And so for yourself, it was, you know, fin, you know, focusing on your performance, your sleep. So what was like the first step in thinking there could be more and on your journey of figuring this out, kind of starting the first days of motion nutrition? And I feel like this is often where a lot of entrepreneurs might stumble a bit because they're a bit scared to take this step because it's such a big one. So I'm keen to hear from you what that was like. Well, actually, we didn't start with sleep. We started with wanting to make sports supplements, protein shakes, these kind of things really, really healthy. So none of the artificial ingredients that you kind of look at the pack and go, what's that? That doesn't look very good for me. Um, so we started by looking at whether it was possible to make these types of products, but make them really, really good for you and not necessarily for performance athletes, but for people around 2015, 2016, there were a lot of new kind of users of supplements, protein shakes, pre-workouts, these kind of things. Yep. And, and we thought, well, all of the products are made for bodybuilders or athletes and that's a pretty small percentage of population so the way we looked at it initially was okay let's see if it's first of all possible to make something that's that that ticks those boxes of good for you like in terms of health but also going to improve your performance and next was let's see 
essentially who can help us on the formulation side. That was more of a logistical question. The next big thing was, is it possible to create these products and actually have them be like commercially viable? So are we going to be able to make something that people will be willing to buy at a price that is acceptable to them? Because that was a big question mark to me. I, I thought, well, if nobody's done this, maybe it's because it makes no commercial sense. Yeah. So those are the two, two kind of big hurdles or big question marks that we had to go through. And once we'd answered those, we thought, okay, well, this is something that people are going to do. And if we act now, we'll be the first to do it. Okay. So what ended up actually being the first product that Motion Nutrition released? We actually launched with something like, um, like around about 10 products. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, honestly, I think we did everything upside down in terms of like how most D2C or most kind of product startups go about starting nowadays <laughs> like you know typically you'd think okay i'm going to start with one product d2c uh, and you know get the product market fit right and then expand from there right yeah. we did it completely the other way around so we started with like a whole range and our our thinking was um we want you to be able to come and buy all of their supplements from us not just one like i figured i think amazon was a little bit less of a massive thing around 2015 2016 yeah. but, you know people did shop d2c first for these kinds of things. And I thought, well, people are not going to come to us for one of their products and then go to like my protein for like five or six of the other products. That's just really awkward. So, yep. if, so our, our thought process was if we're going to do this, we need to like answer the main things, the stuff that we really believe in, they need to all be there. And so we, yeah, we had about around about 10 products. So it was a lot to get started. And also it wasn't D2C only. We started immediately with retail as well as online. Okay, so it, was like, it was like completely, completely opposite to what anybody has been doing for the last few years. <laughs> well, I guess, oh, there's probably a ton of learnings, which I'm keen to hear. But yeah, it's like, you know, I think the opposite, like you mentioned now, a lot of brands like start with one, maybe two products, focus on a single channel, scale it, then you go to the next one. You kind of flipped it on its head and said, let's cover multiple products, multiple channels, which I'm sure like any business thing will have its pros and cons. Like it's very rare that journey as an entrepreneur, as a business, when you're starting from the ground up is like this smooth, you know, upward trajectory. It's going to have a lot of ups and downs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So within the products itself, was it mainly again, kind of that initial focus of it's like really healthy, clean protein shakes, collagens, like what did the product catalog actually look like? Yeah. Organic protein shakes, organic pre-workout, which is completely different to, you know, caffeine powder, basically. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, an organic hydration powder, which was amazing. Like one of my favorite products, but uh, we had to stop it because it was just crazy expensive to make. Uh, <laughs> and it was just a real shame because it was just an amazing product. We had a recovery shake uh, and we had a couple different kind of performance supplement products that we still, the, the brand still carries two of them. Sort of two out of three or four are still 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 exist now. Like we had a sort of enhanced creatine product, which is a really 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 good supplement, and that's that's still around now. Amazing for physical strength performance, but also mental performance. So the brand evolved a bit, but um, a lot of that stuff is still around now. Okay, very cool. And when you kind of moving away from products, but still focusing on the early days of motion, I'm curious, once you started this journey, you put out the products, you're starting to build the business. Did you have an end goal in mind at the time where you're like, I'm going to do this for a while and I'll know what my next venture is. Did you think I'm going to be doing this for forever? Like this is my space or were you more in the middle of like, this is what I'm doing now. 
I'm not sure what the next two years is going to look like, but I'm here for the ride. Honestly, in perfect humility, I don't think I knew at all. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think it would be a lie to say that I knew what was going to come next. Although I don't, I don't think at any point we were thinking this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. I don't think that was a question really. But you know, it was it was pretty early days, and and I think compared to now, that entrepreneurship and startup kind of, especially consumer products, was not really like a career in. It sounds it's not that long ago, like five or six years ago, or well, twenty fifteen is seven years ago now. But it's like I didn't really know that many people who who did this, and it's not like you could just, you know, there wasn't these huge like groups of people on Twitter talking about it. There wasn't all this stuff, all these podcasts about entrepreneurship. It was like, I think now the kind of path, there's been some change, but the path of sort of the expected path and and route is a little bit more clear. Yeah. 2015 2016 yeah you it was like okay you build a brand and potentially sell it but in between it was like eh, i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> even <laughs> even funding and all these things like it's so much clearer now and maybe just because i've got the experience of going through it but i feel like in terms of availability of information that has changed a lot since then yeah i mean i definitely agree like i, I still think it's you know, entrepreneurship is still not the most stock standard thing for a career path, depending, especially the sort of entrepreneur you want to be if you're developing a product or software, or other things it is popping up more. But I think you're right. Like, you know, part of this conversation is trying to streamline, educate people around how if they want to go through this journey, what it looks like. But I think you're right. You know, like you probably weren't able to Google stuff and find like, how do you get funding per se? And in that regard, like, there's kind of two questions here. One is what was the hardest part about initially, or what was the hardest part about building the brand and kind of the business that you found? And secondly, what's like one of the biggest milestones you hit? Now, looking back, you kind of just have a smile on your face. Cause you're like, I either, I can't believe we did this or just like, Oh my gosh, what a mess up that we had. But <laughs> you know, it was an experience that you needed to have on that journey. Well, building a brand was long as in building a brand that people recognized. I think, I've always kind of thought this way, but now it's been reinforced since going through all of this. If you're building a brand, you kind of have this dynamic of speed versus money or time versus money. If you don't have a lot of money, you're going to take a lot of time. If you don't want to spend a lot of time on something, you're going to need a lot of money. <laughs> you know, you only have one of those things, you're going to have to be able to, you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice on the other because you can't really have, can't really go fast if you don't have money. So we we had enough money to build a cool brand and build a cool range of products and actually make it, but we did not have enough money to then go, okay, now we're, let's let's go straight in with like in-channel marketing. Let's go straight in with like Facebook ads and Google ads and all these things. Like that was completely out of the question. Yeah. So the way we started off, and this is partly why we did an omni-channel strategy from the beginning, was in many ways that actually was very helpful for discovery. Not just discovery, but also refining the product and refining the brand. So the first year, probably the first two years of running Motion Nutrition, I was in stores probably twice a week, every week, just doing product sampling and talking to customers. And, you know, it's just, it sounds like that was market research, but we were selling and yeah. it was working really well. It was quite new in London to have a local startup doing supplements in 2016. Like when we launched 
So we launched in January 2016. About a month or two later, we were in all the Planet Organic stores. And Planet Organic, up until then, had only, when you looked at their protein sort of range, I'm pretty sure they only had Sun Warrior, the American brand Sun Warrior. I think there was not a single UK or even European brand on the shelves. And it was like a whole wall of Sun Warrior stuff. And I remember saying to my colleagues, like, after that year, I remember thinking, like, Sun Warrior must be looking at their numbers in the UK now and going, what the fuck has happened? (laughs) (laughs) Because they didn't have anybody here on the ground. And we just kept taking more and more shelf space from them and literally just stealing their sales. Because we were there, like, a lot. We were there in the stores talking to customers and, like, converting a lot of them, but also learning a lot from the people we didn't sell to. And I remember sessions where, like, sometimes if there were two of us, me and my co-founder, like, it was amazing because people felt like it was easier to speak to us if it was just, if it was two rather than just one. Mm. Kind of like that group effect makes it less kind of scary, I guess, like socially awkward. Um, And there was one session that we did in the space of under three hours, we sold a thousand pounds of product. Like for an in-store, like yeah. pretty niche kind of brand, like it was so much stuff. Like we completely wiped out what the store had, and and it was just like so so powerful to do that. That's such a cool. So I mean, that's such a cool experience to look back on when you think about that memory. I mean, doing a thousand, yeah. Because I, I mean, I still go into planning organics around me. I see you know these entrepreneurs. And these brands doing these tastings up are these, they're doing trials and they're doing tastings. What was it that allowed you during that period to sell that thousand pounds of products? Like what, what light bulb moments were these consumers having where they're just like, I, I feel like this is what I need. Cause clearly they were looking for something and they almost just didn't know it existed per se. Yeah. I think the, the timing was like phenomenal. So first of all, sampling in in those stores has become so much more common now because there's so many more local startups now in the food and drink space so there's always people sampling in all these stores planet organic whole foods there's always somebody there you kind of know that there's going to be somebody there so you don't buy every time (laughs) when we were doing it it was still quite early and like there weren't that many people doing it because there were just weren't that many like food and drink startups like in that kind of niche upmarket space and certainly not in the supplement space so it was quite novel. People will people were coming to talk to us and to try our product a lot more than they would if we did it today, like without a doubt. So that was good timing. And then from the consumer kind of demand and awareness time, I think we just nailed it. Like it was people were more and more either interested in or already buying protein powders, but they wanted something better. They were when we know they wanted something better because they were shopping in a store like Planet Organic. And this yeah. is not like, oh, people want better stuff. No, like they're going to the store where they can buy better stuff. So yeah. it was like, it was, you know, pretty specialized, like target audience. And yeah, I mean, I remember like there was a period where like sort of one in four, one in five, we'd, we'd close a sale on the spot. Like, incredible numbers, incredible numbers. And like, we cannot replicate that today. Like, there's no way. Because there's, you know, there's so much more competition. There's so much more like you're kind of tired of, of trying stuff. Yep. People like avoid it because you feel like peer pressured into buying stuff. And I remember thinking this is so cool because the other brands that were doing this kind of thing were more like kind of like niche, like specialty chocolate brands and this kind of thing. Yeah. Like, interesting. But I remember thinking like, shit, 
for them to sell as much money, like, you know, they can sell as many units as us. Yep. For them to make as much, like, revenue for the store as we're doing, they need to sell, like, 10 times the number of units that we're doing. And you don't have 10 times the number of people trying the chocolate. Yeah. So so it was just, like, a really good mix of circumstances that worked to our fit to our advantage a lot. That's amazing. And then fast forward, you know, the product has changed a lot. As I mentioned, I am a customer. I use it for a long time. My girlfriend was. You kind of moved more so into, I think, three main products. If a, if a customer is to go to the site now, which is around, I think, kind of clean energy during the day, getting a proper night's sleep. And I think this is what hooked me is having something that if I woke up in the middle of the night, it wasn't my mind was racing all of a sudden. I could get back to sleep. That's what got me. And it definitely works. And then the third was around, I think, just kind of balance. So over time, I was curious, because you mentioned you started with a wide catalog. How did you then kind of go into the reverse and focus down to, I know you have, you still have additional products, but maybe having kind of that core product line that it seems like I would think most of the revenue of the business comes from. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the, the, the kind of initial range that we had has changed a little bit. But eventually, most of it stayed, but become became the kind of like secondary sale. Mm-hmm. Like now, you know, people start with one and then kind of add, if they're lucky, another hero product. But more likely, they add kind of secondary, like marginal gain type products. Yeah. So, so that's still there. But around 2017, so sort of like a year and a half, two years in, there's a few things that happened. First of all, I kind of had this realization that like bad experience that I had as an athlete of having a hard time switching off from like physical effort people were going through and I was going through exactly the same thing, but from switching off from mental effort. So if you're working late, if you're answering emails late, if you're taking calls late or, or even just watching like quite an intense movie or series on Netflix, or actually even reading a book that's kind of triggering or like a self-help book or like business book that's going to keep your mind racing it's actually pretty hard to switch off and go to sleep Uh, and that's the realization was that actually this is not an athlete problem this is like an everyday like modern lifestyle problem and and then we kind of went oh this is actually big like this is like (laughs) this is way bigger than organic protein powder this is this is like basically everybody who is active in modern society has this problem unless unless you're like some kind of freak who never drinks coffee and doesn't get stressed. <laughs> I, think I think the only people I know of are like Buddhist monks. Right. They, they destined their lives for this stuff. But yes, the average person, I think it's a pretty common thing that you hear from people that they always say, yeah, wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep because their brain is just firing left, right, and center. So the, that was our realization. And at the same time, there was a lot of kind of research coming up around kind of nootropics and adaptogens yep. and so we were quite fortunate in that the the person who had already worked on all of our product formulations is an amazing neuroscientist called Miguel Toribio Mateas who's now also Dr. Miguel and you know we talked to him about this stuff and he got super excited about it and hearing his experience of adaptogens and nootropics from a research but also from his clinical perspective we kind of got this idea quite early on that although there were some nootropic kind of stacks and products on the market, everybody was looking at it from a, let's enhance people during the day. But it, but it was quite clear from what Miguel was telling us that there were certain ingredients that would enhance your performance during the day and others that would actually help you kind of 
reduce stress levels, get you into a nice like rest and restore phase and get you essentially to recover better overnight. And so nobody had done this where they'd taken this idea of nootropic and turned it into day and night. And we thought that was like super elegant, really novel, and also really simple for people to understand. So nootropic is like really, even today, kind of like an obscure term that people may not really understand in, in the kind of mainstream market. But if you switch it and go to power up and unplug, which are the names of the daytime and nighttime one, and you accompany this with like certain visual cues and coloring, like orange and kind of a, a wave that's rising and then sort of purple and a wave that's kind of calming, like you get the name, you get the color, you get the day and night. You're like, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense, even though I don't understand what all these ingredients are. And so all these things came together and we thought, oh, we, we should really look into this. And and we we went like, but we kind of went all in on it. And that became the biggest, our biggest focus. And people really took to it. It worked really well. It took a lot of time because it was so new. You know, we had to work on consumer understanding and education. We had to work on press understanding. And I remember, I think it was around 2018, we launched these early into early 2018. I sat down with uh, a person who at that time was editor of Men's Health. Mm -hmm. He had never heard of nootropics. He'd never heard of this idea of like daytime and nighttime. But he he told me like, I love it and we're going to cover it. But it took him a whole year to kind of find the spot for it for us in, in the magazine. But a year later, they added in nootropics as one of the categories in the sort of best supplements. That Every year they have like a best supplements award. And yeah. typically like protein and pre-workout, this kind of thing. Then they added in nootropic and gave us the award in 2019. And then they gave us the award for the, for the other, other product in 2020. So it was kind of like these things were, everybody was interested, but it's like, it took a little bit of time. And then that happened also with retail. So retail was like, oh, this is really cool, but to get you in, I need to move something out. So, you know, that also took kind of like a year to get into like significant retail shelf space. So although it was like, there was so much interest, it kind of took time. We had to be a bit patient with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of it was a lot of education, like you said, and like market maturation, market maturation to be able to get to people to really understand and start to get them sure as well. There's testimonials, people are are sharing this, and then it starts to build up, and then it just became what seems like kind of a tidal wave, or not a tidal wave because it didn't break, but it's just the kind of you built up, and then it, you know the business continued to scale up until the point that you did sell, which I want to touch on in a minute. One thing during kind of this podcast series that I want to touch on, because I think it's really important is as you scale, every single business will run into different hurdles, whether it be inventory levels, whether it be targeting new markets, whether it's selling in different currencies. And nowadays, you know, technology, I would say, plays a lot into that and hopefully helps alleviate a lot of those things. I'm curious, like, as you're going through your journey, how did technology play in your growth and or did it ever play into like negative growth like did you ever choose something and you're like oh, that wasn't the right fit but i think overall like how did technology play in your business model and how you thought about doing things yeah a bunch of things happened probably the biggest headache that we had was again like now it seems like kind of the obvious choice for a startup like a consumer goods startup founder to go with shopify but that was not like in 2015, like it was not such a big thing. <laughs> and, and, um, and the kind of default recommendations that we were getting was don't touch Magento because you don't have enough money, but you can go with WordPress, WooCommerce. It's pretty simple. Like you can get developers to work on it pretty easily. 
So that was like, okay, this seems sensible. And, and it worked for us. But then after a while, just things kept breaking. And it was just like almost every day there'd be something breaking and that needs fixing, that needs fixing, that needs fixing. And it's just like having to deal with like that kind of dead weight is super frustrating because you want to be, you know, you want to be moving forward and focusing on like the next thing. And it's like, you got these old like, obsolete bits that keep kind of dragging you down and taking your time. So that was like the most frustrating thing. I think just having to continually fix things that should have been working. So it was kind of good to start off, but it was a real pain. Yeah, that's fair. And looking back on it now, I mean, it's really common that in general in life, when you're looking for a recommendation for something that maybe you're not an expert in, you go to others that have, or maybe an expert in that area or work with people that are experts in that area and you get the recommendation and you trust people, which is never going to go away. It's an extremely valid way of of making decisions, but you know, not even just on the Shopify side, but when you think about any other, you know, kind of decisions you made on technology or business, with the hindsight now, would you evaluate things in a different way at all? Yeah, certain things. I'm not really big on like regrets. So I don't think like, oh, what would I have done back in 2017 with this knowledge that I have today? I prefer to think of like, well, what would I do different now? Uh, yeah. Or what would I recommend other people do differently now? But one of the big learnings was okay, well, certainly for, from the platform perspective, I would have switched to Shopify a lot earlier. Another thing was uh, for quite some time, we were pretty much relying exclusively on Facebook for acquisition. And that, that was a problem, big problem, because things can go wrong. A lot of people have experienced like issues with their Facebook ad account. And, and that was a steep learning curve. So yeah, do not rely on one acquisition platform. Do not rely on one sales platform even if you can because things can go wrong and and i think supplements is a little bit dodgy because you're you are in the space where it's like is it medicinal is it herbal are you are you making like incorrect health claims inadvertently or on purpose there's all these extra kind of layers of gray <laughs> that can get you in trouble and you might be doing everything like to the letter of what's legal you know, your understanding of, of what's correct. You might be doing everything properly as much as you can see, but somebody else might have a different interpretation. Uh, and if somebody else has a different interpretation or if somebody else's bot has a different interpretation, then you can get in trouble really quickly. One of the things that happened was pay, we, we got kicked out of PayPal like, like with, it, with no notice. And they were like, you know, money frozen, can't take PayPal on your site, all these things like, with no notice and the reason for it was so the creatine product that i talked about earlier has i think it's the ginkgo biloba which is a botanical extract in there from memory that is banned in like brazil <laughs> and and because of like brazil was one of the options we had never shipped a single product to brazil like regardless of whether it was a creatine or something else like we, we had never shipped to brazil and but because it was an option and their bot spotted it we just got kicked out of PayPal, but they didn't really explain this. We had to kind of figure out what the problem was and, you know, fix it and then kind of reapply. So these things happen, like, you know, you can get kind of complacent and assume that it's going to be plain sailing, but you have to have either several platforms that you rely on or kind of quick fire backup options. 
Yeah, no, I think that's two really good things to call out. I mean, one from an acquisition and just a digital marketing perspective, depending obviously your budget, like you mentioned, if you don't have a ton of money, you obviously can't just go put all of your money into every channel you mm. can. So you do need to be uh, specific, but I think it is good to diversify, especially, I mean, now we could go on a whole other conversation around Facebook and cookies and you know what that has done. On the flip side though, I think the other thing you're mentioning is, you know, as an entrepreneur, you definitely need to be nimble and kind of roll with the punches per se, because you're going to have stuff thrown at you that you didn't expect. And you're right, the supplement space worked with a lot of merchants and it's a whole world of world of like if and or buts kind of. And yeah. each form, each service you use might have slightly different rules. So it's almost kind of like I can imagine you're like, okay, we're going to try out this new thing, buckle up to see like what's next with this mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you, sometimes you just don't know, like there was a period where people pretty senior at Facebook were telling me that the problem we had was that we used the word nootropic. Nootropic, there's nothing illegal or incorrect about the word. And they were, they were mistaken. The, per- yeah. the person telling us was absolutely incorrect. But that's that was their interpretation of our issue. So it's tough because like you don't you don't really know where the line is. You don't really know who knows where the line is. You have to just kind of do a lot of guesswork and, and kind of like trial and error until things are running smoothly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you go through all this trial and error, you have this product, we fast forward now, and I think it's been, like you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, about six weeks since you formally sold and exited Motion. And during our conversation before, again, I know this was, you know, this had not come all of a sudden, this had been in the works for a while. Uh, But what did that process look like for you kind of moving out of the business? And what was the decision for yourself to, to move on to something new? So, you know, although at the beginning, I think we probably had an idea that we'd want to sell, but we didn't really know when or what it would look like and this kind of stuff. Probably, so just over a year ago, I became a dad and I think that changed like my tolerance for what would be acceptable as a work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing, is your time a little bit more important now? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and. It was like 2022 for anybody selling like consumer goods, 2021, 2022, anyone selling consumer goods in the UK, it was like a pretty stressful time because the rules were just changing all the time. You know, we, 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 we sold a lot of stuff to Europe, to the European Union. And overnight, when the Brexit regulation kicked in, it was like a shipment to France, like across the sea from here, went from like costing us about nine pounds to like 30 pounds. So, so, so then, okay, we go, we go to like create a sort of fulfillment center on the continent, which is fine, but it's like, this is another like cost center. This is not just like marginal cost added on top of something. This is not like, you know, a little bit of inflation. This is like a whole new cost center and a whole new time sink that you had just hadn't considered. So a lot of these things added up, um, you know, it's easy to kind of assume that like COVID was fantastic for anybody selling like health supplements. Well, like close to half of our business was through retail. Uh, and there was like months and months and months where like either nobody was allowed into stores or some of our biggest clients like Holland and Barrett and Boots, they actually switched off all non-essentials. So if there was a period of about four months where boot, like if you were not supplying like paracetamol and like, um, you know, toothpaste to boots. Like if you weren't supplying like everyday essentials, yep. they they just were, they just put a blanket ban on purchase orders. 
So a lot of these things were like tough to swallow, but also so unpredictable. So you have this kind of like super stressful context and environment. And then, and then I have a kid and it's like, okay, now we need to accelerate. Like the, we need to accelerate the conversations. <laughs> this is like, although the business was solid, it felt like regardless of my personal situation, it also felt with this kind of turbulent environment, it would have done, I knew that it was going to do better as part of something bigger. Yep. Because when you're part of something bigger, you know, if you're a bigger ship, you can weather the storm a lot better and mm. see. And that sounds like a cliche, but that is very, very, very true. There's less pressure on like hitting specific targets every month, you know, because you're part of something bigger that the fixed overheads don't affect you so much. So I knew that like personally and from the environment perspective, it was a better thing for the business was to sell. Yep. Although I went, I was really close to other deals, not necessarily a full exit. So for some time, I was quite deep into conversations about a new partner coming in and injecting some capital. Also had some conversations about merging with another brand, which I was quite excited about because um, it would have kind of together, we would have leapfrogged a lot of our competitors, which I just thought that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that was like purely an ego move that was, that was rather a, than a sensible move that was the competitive side and you still that you're like oh that'd be i mean that would be a cool journey to go on and i imagine yeah. that yeah competitive side of like swimming it's like we could take this to the next level yeah i mean i'm sure it would have been complete chaos and a lot <laughs> a lot of headaches and extremely inefficient in terms of like working out you know how to run the business together but um i, I like the thought of it because it just seemed like quite a quite a fun thing to do but quite complex so in the end the, the kind of simpler and and probably for me personally better decision was to sell which which we closed end of september oh wow okay so quite recently yeah okay so now i think you still advise maybe a little bit on the side but mm -hmm. you moved on to a pretty well i guess maybe your skill set actually i should say is still being reused quite a lot it's just not focused on a specific product like you mentioned, you have Nojack Media now, which is focused really on building content and story-driven story narratives for various kind of outdoor-specific brands, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of uh, I learned a lot going through the, the sale process, I learned a lot about like what I was good at and what I was, not just me, but us as a company, what we were really quite bad at. And maybe like I knew this, but it was like really reinforcing to see it like the differences between our buyer and us as to like how we ran the different companies was quite striking going through it. It was quite clear that uh, the people who bought our brand had been our manufacturers for the last almost two years. So we knew them really well. They knew our business really well. They're really positive about it and so on. But essentially because they're in the manufacturing business, they're very, very good at logistics. And we were pretty terrible at logistics, but we were pretty good at like, communications and simplifying the product and marketing the product in the right place to the right people and so on. So I kind of realized, well, actually, in hindsight, maybe this is where I don't enjoy thinking about things this way, but maybe what I would do next rather than what I would have done in the past would be more of like a Red Bull model where like, I don't touch the product at all. I just focus on building the brand and building essentially a marketing powerhouse uh, and anything to do with logistics. Yes, it's a little bit more expensive maybe to get it outsourced, but they're going to be so much more efficient at it that even if there's like an extra 20% kind of cost on top of everything, like they will be so much better at it that actually that will disappear into nothing 
and, and free up all of this mind space for me to focus on what I'm good at. So I think that would be the model that I'd go for if I were to do something similar again. In the meantime, actually, I don't need to have a product to do that. I can, I can do that for others. And so Nojak Media is essentially storytelling, visual storytelling and event productions for typically outdoor-led brands like the North Face, who are one of our, well, actually our biggest client. And it's, it's cool. It's exciting because it's the kind of stuff that I've always really enjoyed without the sort of headaches of the stuff that I wasn't particularly good at. <laughs> yeah, you call out two things. I think that's quite interesting and something you can apply to, to business and in life in general is not all the time, you know, you can just have, it's nice to have maybe one thing or one person do everything. But in reality, just like, you know, businesses or individuals, like you mentioned, there are some things that we're really good at and others you're not so great at. And same thing with certain businesses. They're really good at some aspects of it. Others are not. And I think in general now it's kind of picking and choosing like who's best in class per se at these different things, letting them do their best, but just really collaborating with them or connecting with them well, whether that be on a collaboration perspective from, you know, doing creative work to, you know, connecting technologies and stuff. It's just like, let everyone do the best work they can to make that culmination of whatever that end product is that you need. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of, before we go on to my final question, you know, looking back on it now, what what would you say you miss the most about kind of your time at Motion versus maybe what are, what's one of the things that you're like, okay, I'm kind of glad I'm not responsible for that aspect anymore? It's definitely been strange, you know, to not have a physical product anymore, but that's kind of like the bittersweet thing is like, uh, you know, although it was fun to create something and have it like then physically, not just in my hands, but in other people's hands and then seeing people see it for the first time and actually get their wallet out to buy it. That's like such a gratifying thing. But then, you know, the flip side of that is it comes with so many headaches of stuff that I was not particularly comfortable with in terms of logistics and so on. You know, we made it work, but I always knew like this is not, we're not, we're not doing a very good job of this. So that was like quite a uh, sort of burden on me, like quite, that was quite stressful, I thought. Uh, so that stuff I'm definitely happy to not be dealing with anymore. <laughs> okay. Fair. Well, the last question that I'm curious of all guests, and I think it's really an interesting one to ask because we get so many different answers, but you know, at the end of your time, wherever you might be retired, for some people it might be, you know, on a beach, others it might be up in the mountains, you could be on the coastal side as close to the ocean. But if you were to get to the end of things and think, I've achieved what I've wanted, what does achievement actually look like for you? Well, what I loved about what we did at Motion was through very small interactions with people's kind of everyday life, I knew that we could have quite a big downstream benefit and that would kind of like snowball. So if you've slept well, or maybe you've, you've woken up, but you've been able to get back to sleep. You've not been like, you know, your brain hasn't fired up hundred miles an hour in the middle of the night. You wake up feeling rested and good. Like that sort of triggers a series of positive decisions through your day, positive reactions. So you're going to have, maybe you're going to go for like the healthy breakfast option. You're maybe not going to have coffee before food. You're maybe like going to be a nicer person to be around. You're maybe going to be more efficient at work, which means you're going to leave work earlier. And maybe that means you're going to have time for your workout or to go socialize with whoever you've been missing out on for a while. And then you're not going to have that decision fatigue, which means that you go for like the really unhealthy food choice in the evening, or you get kind of like short tempered with your family or your friends. That kind of just triggers like so many positive things, which 
in the end just make you and the people around you smile more uh, and I, what i've realized is that i can still focus on helping people smile more regardless of what it is that i'm working on or selling so i'd like people to think that you know i've helped them smile more and be happier awesome well again i can say definitely <clears throat> when taking the product have slept very well and in turn, yeah, it's, I think we all know that one thing, especially if you indulge in a little bit of too many of those beverages a certain night, that eating of the terrible food the next day mm -hmm, kind of has mm -hmm. a knock on effect in the opposite way. So I, I think it's something we probably all know, but it's something really good to reiterate again. And I think it's, a, it's a good thing to think if that's something that you're having that impact on even a handful of people in life, that it's a pretty good thing that you've achieved. So Really appreciate you being here today, Joe. I think hopefully everyone listening today has learned a little bit of something. You've gone through a lot. Very keen to kind of see the work that you're doing at No Jack Media. Any parting thoughts for you know entrepreneurs, anyone listening that you think is just important for them to consider, whether they're starting their journey or they're you know in the midst of it? I think uh, the biggest thing is talk to people. Like if you have an idea of something that you think is worth pursuing, you don't need to get into this thought process of being like oh, I'm stuck in this job I can't do anything at all that's not true you might need your job but you can at the very least talk to people about your idea and, and I, I have so many friends who have business ideas and some of them are really bad and some of them are really good ideas <laughs> and, and and they kind of they're like willing to talk to me about it because they know that I've been going through this entrepreneurship journey but they don't talk to anybody else about it and I'm like that's really stupid because yeah. If you talk to people, you're going to find out whether it's a good or bad idea. And you're also going to find out how you can improve your idea before you spend any time or money on it. So do that. Like, do, do the talking. Don't think about secrecy. Like, secrecy is way overrated. You don't need to keep it a secret. A lot of people probably have the same idea, but they're not doing anything about it because they're also keeping it secret. So just talk about it and see what people say. And, you know, you'll find out if it's worth pursuing if you do it that way. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's time well spent before, like you said, you spend a ton more time on it. So mm -hmm. well, appreciate you taking the time again. Have a great rest of the Friday and good weekend. And um, we'll be in touch. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks, Joe. And that was Joe from Motion Nutrition. Once again, an incredible story and success. It wasn't a straightforward path. There were many learnings along the way. And like all of our guests, I'm excited to see their continued journey. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next week where we speak with a merchant who offers a product that we've been enjoying since our youth. 